Hi everyone, this is Ashley Latecki Ellenboss with Sky House Herb School and Apothecary. And today I'm being joined by my friend and fellow herbalist, Kat Mayer. Thank you, Kat, so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Ashley. So fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wanted to have you on because you published this amazing new book, Energetic Herbalism, uh, Guide to Sacred Plant Traditions, Integrating Elements of Vitalism, Ayurveda, and Chinese Medicine. And I think this is a book a lot of us have been waiting for, you know, a place where a lot of different uh, types of herbalism are brought together within a framework of, I would say, spirituality and a more um, kind of wholeness, kind of vitalist approach to not only practicing herbalism, but being human on the path and, you know, working with plants. So I, I love the way that you put this book together. So I'm really excited to dive in and ask you some questions about it and, and dig into some of the, the heart of what you wrote about. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And um, for, for those of you, oh, good. Yeah. And I, I know you've done a lot of these interviews. So I thank you for joining me and doing this interview with me for my followers, because, um, you know, I know you're, you're busy teaching and, <laughs> and doing a lot of this work. Well, the beautiful thing of working with you, Ashley, is you really show up for the interviews. So you're not taking sort of stock questions you know, just for the audience, we don't really know what the questions are. So that keeps it very alive. And as we're going to talk about the elements, they're changing, you know, it's a different season. And so because of the way you hold space, it becomes that much more real. So it's, it's absolutely a pleasure um, to sit with you and uh, visit and then share this with your uh, followers. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. And I, I mean, I do, I love that the, the realness aspect of two people, you know, it's like, you know, when you plant two things in a garden together, you know, season by season, they interact differently and new things sprout up. So there's something really fun about the organic process of interviewing. And I'm grateful that you're game, you're game to join in. <laughs> I'm game. <laughs> awesome. Well, good. Well, I want to let folks know a little bit more about your background. For those of you who are maybe just hearing from Kat or about Kat for the first time, I know probably a lot of you have already heard of her, um, but let me just tell you a little bit about Kat's background. So Kat is a registered herbalist with the American Herbalist Guild. She's a clinical herbalist, author, and teacher. Her career as an herbalist was influenced by what she learned studying plants as a Peace Corps volunteer and her training as a physician's assistant. Together, these experiences shaped her approach to clinical practice, weaving biomedicine with traditional energetic herbalism. As the founder and director of Sacred Plant Traditions, a center for herbal studies in Charlottesville, Virginia, Kat has trained and inspired her students to work as clinical herbalists and open herb schools. One of her first free herb clinics on the East Coast began at Sacred Plant Traditions. She later founded the Botanica Mobile Clinic, a nonprofit dedicated to providing accessible herbal medicine to local communities. Kat is the author of Energetic Herbalism, a guide to sacred plant traditions through integration elements of vitalism, Ayurveda, and Chinese medicine, and co-author of Bush Medicine of San Salvador Island, Bahamas, written in 2011. 
She also served as the president of the United Plant Savers and received their first medicinal plant conservation award. And she draws on over 30 years of experience as a clinical herbalist and teaches frequently at universities, conferences, and herb schools, both in the US and also internationally. So quite a full, a full breadth of experience and, and still, you know, I mean, I think this is a great thing about the practice of herbalism is, you know, herbalists are like, you know, fine wine. They, they get better with age, you know, you become, <laughs> so it's not like a lot of industries. Um, so, you know, you're still going strong and teaching and writing, and it's such really such a gift to have you here and, and to have your wisdom uh, so present with us. Thank you, Ashley. Yeah, and just seeing what comes next and how we evolve. And, you know, I was just saying to students yesterday in our clinic that, you know, the we really fought with American Herbalist Guild to really hold a high standard to really not only bring safety, but the language of the plants and many different languages, whether it's indigenous or uh, wise woman or clinical. And that because of the freedom of practice without standardization, uh, we have so many characters and we have so many styles and flavors. And, you know, we've really, in, in some ways, we've created um, a situation where diversity, you know, we talk about biodiversity in our gardens and in our landscapes and ecology. And so what we've done in the herbal trade uh, is to, to really create that diversity, uh, which keeps it alive and fresh and uh, ever so humble. So, oh, I love that. Yeah, it's true. And and I think, you know, a lot of people like you have pioneered this work and yeah, really making sure it remains accessible and it remains um yeah, that the diverse voices in the herbal community are, are really um, represented. And, and this actually kind of leads me into my, one of my first questions, which I really loved when I read in the, the opening introduction of your book was a little bit about your herbal journey. And I think like a lot of us in this herbal world, as you mentioned, um, it's kind of a pioneering path. You know, it's not, there, there's no one way. It's not like there's a university track and then you know, you, you get this certificate and then you're an herbalist and you hang the shingle. It's, um, you know, it's really a path of the, of the mystic and the misfit and the, 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 the um, edge dwellers. And so, you know, in the introduction, you, you use this metaphor called, um, uh, or the, the golden thread, as you called it. And that was kind of what, you know, you use to describe what you followed to keep you on this path. And, you know, again, it, it really merged biomedicine and all of these different, more traditional ways of medicine. So I was hoping maybe you could talk a little bit about the golden thread and, and what that is for you and, and how, how does that, you know, influence, uh, or how might that be something that influences so many of us on this path of herbalism? Sure. Um, so for others to really understand it, it's a short poem. Would you like me to read that? And then they can have that context. That would be great. Okay. Uh, it's by William um, Stafford. And uh, this is his poem. And he says, there's a thread you follow. It goes among things that change, but it doesn't change. People wonder about what you are pursuing. You have to explain about the thread, but it is hard for others to see. While you hold it, you can't get lost. Tragedies happen, people get hurt or die. 
and you suffer and get old, nothing you can do can stop times unfolding. You don't ever let go of the thread. And so why I think that's such a vital poem is had I, you know, I was following the golden thread. I was following my heart's desire and, um, but it was so ill-formed. There weren't models, there weren't templates. Uh, this is, you know, I guess it started when I was six and my desire to be a healer, uh, but there were no healers in my world. I was born in 1955, so we're talking, um, you know, antibiotics were just coming onto the scene. And so alternative medicine was really, talk about edge dwellers, it was really on the fringe. So, you know, I, I really didn't know. And I saw a movie on the Peace Corps at 12, and I thought, oh, that's, you know, that's what I want. And, you know, it didn't matter what I studied in college. I just followed that service, followed that um, passion. You know, I heard that. That's what I'm going to do. And and so the golden thread for me until I learned that poem, and then it really gave me, uh, like, I, I almost wept when I read the poem because I thought, oh, that's what it is. And I wanted um, people to hear that earlier on because you can't explain it. And how are you going to make a living? And what do you mean herbs? And are they safe? And, you know, there aren't, you know, maybe on those career things we fill out, there's um, floral arrangers, but I don't know if there's herbalists. So it's that heart. I loved how you said we're misfits and mystics. And uh, for herbalism, that call is very, very different. It can be a farmer, it can be a medicine maker. You know, there's so many online courses now. And so they're following a certain template and, you know, this is how you do it. And this is the framework and they're phenomenal programs um, that are out there now. And almost everyone I hear that are doing it, they're like, I'm so grateful I have this. And also, I really know I need to get with the plants. How do you do that? And so how people follow that golden thread, uh, for me, because I didn't go to herb school, um, I, you know, had a, there were many, many parts of my journey that I won't get into the weeds, but I ended up over in Britain because somebody said, well, if you're really interested in herbal medicine, go to the British School of Phytotherapy. And so I got there and I realized, oh, I still can't practice legally. I wanted to work with low income and urban. And um, so I came back and became a physician assistant. And, you know, through a dream, I ended up on this herb farm making minimum wage, still with my medical school loan looming over me. <laughs> and yet I was so amazingly content. And how do you explain that? You know, how do you explain I am happier than I've ever been? I'm living without running water. And so in some ways, the difference, I feel the challenge for herbalists today is in the early 80s, you know, people say hippies, but we were following our heart and we were not having the cars and having all the material aspects. And, you know, I see 20 year olds, I see this pressure 
um, you know, it's a very, very different culture in a lot of ways. And yet there are so many primitive skills and I, I don't at all want to say there aren't many, many uh, plant lovers and students who are really um, sacrificing, you know, it's a sacrifice. And in other traditions, it's the sacrifice of tuition. But for here, I think it's that stepping across that line and really making that commitment. All right, plants, I will show up. Mm. And that's when they'll show up. You know, that's when they really feel that deep, deep engagement. So it's the encouragement of, you know, whatever culture you're originating from. You know, I started with my story of indigeneity because there is you know, that brilliant movement now of really looking at whose tradition and how do we honor traditions. And so if I'm talking about all these other traditions as a white woman, here's my story of becoming, here's my indigeneity in Celtic. And then here are these teachers that were gifted to me. And um, so it, it was it was a gnarly road. It was not a straight line at all. I can't even say it was a beautiful spiral um, <laughs> because there was just a lot of confusion and where do I go? And uh, but they brought the stories. Mm. You know, they really brought the stories. So for me, my teachers, I would just end up in the mountains every single day after working, and I was with the plants, and so. I feel that Mark Blumenthal always tells this story and I'm so deeply honored, but, you know, I did not claim the title of herbalist until my community referred to me as an herbalist because I hadn't even gone to school, though, as a PA. Mm -hmm. So that's truly a community created herbalist when that's how my role was seen and I was referred to. Mm. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think this idea of you know, what are the needs? It's like, I, I think it was, I forget who said it, but it's, you know, if you want to know, you know, to find your calling is to find the intersection of your own deepest hunger and the world or the, the world's deepest hunger and your own deepest needs, something like that. Mm -hmm. So this, you know, it, to me, just hearing your story, you know, you followed the thread, the plants, you know, the call of the plants and you stayed with that. Right. And, you know, everything sort of gathered around to support, to support that. And then your community birthed you into the role of herbalist. I, I didn't know that about you. That's, that's really, oh, that's really right. cool. <laughs> Yeah. And the other thing was, um, and, and that's why it's different. And I keep telling my students, I said, I am maybe your first teacher and I implore you to go build relationships that, you know, at the age of 63, I really feel like I really found my teacher in Karen Sanders and Sarah Holmes and Matt Wood and Rosemary, you know, they're all my teachers. So it's just so vital to know that when you have your relationship with the plants on the altar, you will be led to people that will take you deeper and deeper and you think you know that's the problem with herbalism it's like oh my god you go to a Phyllis Light class or something or your class I, I sit and I listen to you and I'm like oh my goodness I never knew that and that's exciting and I just want your listeners or students to realize 
you know, revel in that. Don't feel intimidated um, by that because it's so incredibly personal. And the what really was helpful for me was, you know, I was doing this, you know, in rural um, Sperryville, Virginia, in the mountains. And uh, I, long story, but I, I read something about a New England Herb Association. And I decided I'm going to go, I'm going to go meet other herbalists. And I met Rosemary. Mm -hmm. And when Rosemary shines your light on you, the rest is karma, baby. Um, so it was through relationships. Mm -hmm. so it, and it was in that world. It was, you know, before social media, before we had such online presence. And so that was a gift. And I really feel that it's kind of challenging uh, for folks today because, wow, Instagram, you meet so many beautiful practitioners and they're in Costa Rica and Burkina Faso. And um, it's, it's easy to lose the thread because mm -hmm. you're so enchanted and it's seductive. And when we just were... Um, you know, on our own, in a way, it, it was a, a little more plotting, if you will. And yet we it gave us time to allow our inner voices to rise within us and to cultivate that and to really kind of incubate certain dreams that didn't, quote unquote, come online so quickly. Mm. Um, so my heart is it's, it's a different time. Um, so Hmm. That's such a, it's such a powerful point though, of the time that it takes, you know, um, and you know, the, how you speak about relationships, how much it is about the people and the relationships, um, that you formed. And in the second chapter of your book, um, you talk about, it's called plant relations with the senses. And so, you know, I, you know, the, the relationships with teachers and, and the people that guide you is one piece of the path. Um, you talk about in the chapter two, the relations with the senses, like how you can build relationships with the plants mm -hmm. themselves. And I was just curious about this. I mean, this is something that I do as well. Um, but, but for you, I'm just curious, wh what is it about the senses and, and how do you see your senses or a, a person's senses as part of the journey of becoming an herbalist? Mm, great question. Um, well, I feel like I'm a recovering scientist. Uh, I absolutely totally dug PA school and I didn't want medical school because I wanted to get back to the plants. But as a physician assistant, we can pretty much do a lot of things a physician can in their office. And I love the science and I really feel like the science is the articulation of the spirit. I think constituents are that song of the spirit and whether it's a fractal form, whether it's mucopolysaccharides, you know, that's that beautiful uh, image. So, so for me, the sense is, you know, I'm kind of a top down. It took me a while. Um, it, in, in some ways it was the seven year cycle of unraveling, unlearning all the laws and regulations of medical school. And it was, well, you can do this, but when you get to this point, you can't do that. 
And so nature has its own laws and um, patterns because all of this is really about patterns and so are the senses. So for me, when it took me that unlearning and I thought, oh, this information, this science is held in the scent, in the taste, you know, the bitter receptors. And, you know, you can write books on just the flavor of bitter and how in Africa 10,000 years ago, they did that research and survival rates and so for me, the senses help bring us back into our body uh, because of so much online and it's kind of a COVID is a vata time, vata meaning is an Ayurvedic dosha, air, movement, creativity, but how do we get earth? And our senses bring us into the body, bring us into earth, and they give us a tremendous amount of information. And so I think we're in these transition times where we're not certain of information. I'm not really, I, I listen to things and I bring them into my body and I'm like, does that feel right or not? And I feel this is coming into a very critical time, whether it's medicines we take into our body, it's differentiation. So when we have our senses intact and we really know what that smell is, that taste um, on our skin, what we're doing is we're really enlivening our bodies to become that intuitive being. Um, you know, I could call it intuitive healing, but there's many, many fabulous books on that. But when you smell a volatile oil, oh, this is thyme, this is rosemary. Oh, these are antimicrobials. These are antidepressants. Look, this volatile oil lifts. My spirits lift, my moods lift, it's clearing, it's clearing dampness, it's clearing congestion, you know, that's the plasters. And so for people to not be so dependent on books, even though buy books and it's wonderful, we are our diagnosticians. You know, we are the ones that can really determine, wow, that smell is not for me. Uh, this flavor is not working well in my body. Um, and so I, I really am encouraging people to understand what those senses are. Mm, I love that. Yeah. And in the book, you really walk through, you break down the sense of smell and then you talk about how we can connect with that. And then the sense of taste and touch. And yeah, I think it's really helpful because it's true. I, I, I've never thought about this COVID as being a Vata period, but that's so perfect. Cause yeah, we're all a little, ah, you know, like, where are we? Where, you know, where do I exist? Where am I not? And so, uh, that, that the body grounding piece, uh, yeah, it's, it's so essential. So thank you for, <laughs> thank you for sharing but, you that. Know, on that note, look at what people did. You know, That's we're so true. easy to get down on the humanity and, and, but those that could get guarded. I mean, that, I mean, burpee seeds had never, ever sold in their 144 year history. They never sold so many seeds. Mm. We immediately went to the earth. Of course we went to gardening, but we grounded. And I would like to think that as a humanity, you know, we're in tune uh, with that. <laughs> Yeah. And if you remember like some of the images when everything was shut down, how the animals started coming back, like rivers became clear again. Um, you know, yeah. so it's true. I think there was a huge kind of re 
awakening, I think on a very, on a large, you know, I think a lot of us that are in this field, we know this stuff. It's like, you know, we're preaching to the choir, but for a lot of humanity who had never even stopped to think about exactly what things would be like if we really slowed down and we stayed home and we were more self-reliant, uh, what a different type of world it is. And I know a lot of my friends and clients, they, they're not going back to work. They're still working from home and their jobs say, you know what, actually this is better for everyone to stay home, to stay grounded, to stay with your kids. So it's, yeah, it's true. It's a very interesting shift that um, kind of a dichotomy between information age and then the grounding inward. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Very cool. Um, now, this brings us kind of to um, the chapter three. We're not going to go through each chapter, but I guess that we're just going <laughs> to, this is where it's, where it's taking me, um, but which is on the medicine of place. And I wanted to read an excerpt from this, from your book. Um, I'm going to, this is, I'm going to just take a few different chunks here. So this is not, uh, I'm taking excerpts. Um, so medicine of place. Plants are the ultimate alchemists and the land a plant calls home is part of its medicine story. This is where apothecary practices begin. When we harvest and work with a medicine, we are gathering so much more than simply the leaf, flower, or root. Desert medicines have a high content of aromatic oils to protect them from intense heat. Artemisias and plants in the sage family bring astringency and clarity, qualities that many seek from desert venues and times of visioning. These are the physical offerings plants give us from their unique environment. We can taste and smell the very topography that these plants call home. Mm. <laughs> You're such a great writer. And I mean, that, it's like that brings us into this, uh, the medicine of place. And so, you know, here we are, a lot of us more in our place, you know, more homebound. Mm -hmm. um, mm. So, so in this way, you know, what, what are your thoughts? Like, how do we, how do we make the best use of this medicine of place? What are things we can do to mm. anchor into that, that medicine? Yeah. So the, the book is actually my three-year curriculum, and um, but written as an invitation for beginners and those that um, aren't on the path of herbalism. So in my foundations class, one of the projects that I have them do is to pick five plants uh, that are growing in their backyard. If they live in apartments in their parking lot, uh, sometimes if you put a container out on your balcony, you're going to get medicines. Dandelion's going to show up because it's a wind pollinated, the, the beautiful seeds. So what I do is I have them take five plants and that's a lot. And they make an herbarium, you know, a plant press um, and to do a materia medica. And if they can to sit with a plant and listen to the plant or do a plant journey and I think the immediacy of their environment, and it doesn't, it, it can be a daffodil, it can be a black-eyed Susan, um, but really beginning relationships. You know, what is that relationship? And so, you know, the Materia Medica I chose were pretty much the colonizer plants. You know, they're the ones that 
you know, if people are in desert Southwest or Pacific, you know, Northwest, the yarrows there, mullins there, dandelions there, yellow ducks there, because we're coming to a time where we really have to, bioregional won't be the hip thing or the sustainable, it will be what we have to do. So I really see this as kind of a DIY manual of, okay, what's in your backyard? And so I just read an article this morning how dandelion has this ACE inhibitor um, preventing COVID. And they're doing research on dandelion roots, you know, deep, deep studies. Um, so I really, I mean, that's what I tell my students. And I think that's what people can really do. Look around, see what comes in. I know you've probably seen this, but so many clients will show up. And um, I, I put this story in the book, a woman came to me her one son had allergies, the other was always getting sprained in soccer, and she had a backyard full of mullen. And there is that, you can say magic, but it's also, you know, so many uh, folk healers will say you will have the medicines um, that you will need. So the mullen for the allergy, I'm sorry, the goldenrod, she had just a field of goldenrod, and it's a very common plant. But goldenrod is phenomenal for muscle aches. So I taught her how to make muscle um, oil and using it for sinuses and uh, clearing allergies and antihistamine and kidney. So observe, mm -hmm. you know, the, I think permaculture is awesome, but I think it's still anthropomorphizing in the sense that it's still, what do I want? You know, in permaculture, maybe you've talked about that. But for me, the beginning, even before permaculture, is show up and observe who's there, what does the land want, um, and really asking those questions. So it's just really interesting to go out and identify, you know, what weeds do you have? Um, do you want those weeds? Are, are they helpful? Are they pollinators? Um, really, before you begin taking out what you might not want and putting in the garden, you know, look and really see who the pollinators are uh, because a lot of the quote unquote weeds are so beneficial for bees. Mm, that's a great point. Yeah. I love that practice that you do with your students. That's such a great way to get them engaged in their natural environment. Like, you know, what's close to them and um, yeah, you have a lot of great ideas in the book too, about, um, creating, you know, your own botanical sanctuary and ways to protect regional plants. Um, so yeah, I, but that's, that's such a good practical kind of first way is find your friends that are growing nearby. So that's, that's wonderful. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I'm downtown Charlottesville and, you know, we just lost a tree in a recent ice storm. And so we lost our shade and we have hundreds of golden seal plants. So now we have to move them to another shade area. And the whole point is don't wait till you get your beautiful 10 acres with north facing uh, <laughs> rich hummusy soil. These plants will tell you when they're not happy, but golden seal is kind of taking over our walkway. We have black cohosh. 
Um, and you can create urban botanical sanctuaries. And the United Plant Savers website has tremendous amount of information, um, but it's like the backyard habitats, creating corridors, um, which is what is so exciting. Uh, the people are, you know, it's slow, but words getting out there. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I'll add a link to United Plant Savers um, um, in the description of our talk so folks can find them, learn about their work, um, and learn how to maybe become a botanical sanctuary themselves um, mm -hmm. to support this. So that's that's great. I love, I'd love to come see your your garden sometime. <laughs> Anytime you're back east. <laughs> you're more you. than well, you and your family. Oh, thank you. Yeah, my girls, they love gardens. So I'm sure they would love that too. <laughs> Yeah. But, well, I do. I have one more question. Um, this is from the seasonal piece, which we touched on a little bit. You know, we are in the seasonal transition now from winter to spring here in Minnesota. It just snowed again this morning. It, it's melted pretty much. Oh but yeah, yeah, we're still we're still in very early, early spring. So for people that are, you know, in the northern hemisphere, do you have I know it's not like a one size fits all like this plant's good for everyone in in. The transition to spring, but I was just curious if you had any, you know, favorite recipes or, um, you know, favorite teas or favorite plants that you think would be helpful during this seasonal change that we're, that a lot of us are experiencing. Mm. Well, you know, it's the spring cleansing. Uh, and so, and learning the seasons according to five element was very profound because I realized that's primarily what we're experiencing. And so this spring more than others, I truly felt this rising, this rambunctious, this, you know, the liver governs vision in Chinese medicine and the gallbladder's decision-making and you're coming out of the deep, dark, kind of dank winter where traditionally there weren't so many fresh greens and availability. And so you would go into this clearing cleansing time. And I think for me, what I was experiencing was coming out of the winter, I kind of felt like we've been in winter for two years, you know, with the pandemic, it, we've been isolated, we've been hibernating, we've been in sort of a winter state, even though many other things have been happening and we've had seasons. So I think this spring, I really felt this change in vision. And um, so that is when I have done um, my liver roots. And I love decoction. I love doing a decoction of burdock and dandelion. And, um, you know, sometimes I'll put yellow duck, but I find the burdock and dandelion actually are sweeter. I think they're very sweet herbs. Um, so I will add some bitters to that. Uh, I love motherwort, but it's a time of change and we're coming out into a new time. So especially for this time, and hopefully we're gonna be moving forward. You know, of course there'll be variants, there'll be, you know, uh, other spikes and changes, but it really does feel that, okay, now we are moving forward. Uh, and I think we deserve um, a, a clarity to really bring on clearing. So I, I love the liver roots and, and of course, 
the nettles is up and the chickweed is up. So without saying, you know, we're eating red buds in our salad and violets and the flowers. And so to eat a flower is just divine. You know, how can you not? And that's so funny because my son's in Minneapolis, as you know. And so I've been hearing about, oh, they're not, you're not almost there, but it is coming. Yeah. Coming. Yeah. I love, that's a great vision of, um, coming up out of a, of a long period, I, you know, like this is not just one winter, but it's like a winter upon winters. And so the, the nourishment of these, of these deep roots that are very earthy and grounding and, and, um, and then adding the bitters in to get the liver moving. That's, that's wonderful. I, um, yeah, I, I just got a huge batch of burdock from one of my favorite farmers in uh, mm-hmm. North Carolina. Do you know, um, Pamela, she, it's called gentle harmony farms. No, I don't. Oh, I have to send you information. She, her and her husband have this beautiful farm and they have the best burdock root. And so oh, you know, wow. I, I get all, yeah, every year I get my burdock root from them. They are yarrow. It's just, just, I mean, beautiful dried yarrow when I can't get it myself. So um, I'll post that for people too. If you're looking yeah, for I'd love really that. Good burdock. Um, so thank you for sharing that. That's, that's great. And uh, yeah, it's, it's always fun to hear how different herbalists, like kind of what are their go-tos um, yeah. for the spring, the spring time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so the great thing about the roots moving out, the, the young, young, fresh shoots are that new coming in. So it's just this beautiful cycle that we can eat and drink and bring that into our bodies. Brilliant. Good, good. Well, thank you so much for this time. And it's so fun. Great (laughs) question. You're such a wonderful interviewer. I I mean, anytime it's so fun and easy. And uh, I just learned from you of how you move through this. So um, your your community is so blessed to have you. And I'm sure it's wide. It's not simply um, in the geographic area. But yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. And for those of you who want to learn more about Kat's book, um, I'll add a link to Energetic Herbalism. There's many places you can buy it through Chelsea Green Publishing. I'll include that link. And also, Kat, you're going to be the keynote speaker at this year's American Herbalist Guild Symposium in Maryland. I know. And the whole conference is on energetic herbalism. So that'll be really beautiful to see the different papers presented and deeply, deeply moved that they invited me. Yeah. So that's, and that's in October of this year. Right. Right. Okay. And I'll include a link to that as well. So for those of you who want to register, sign up, I think they have online tracks too, that you can do if you can't get there locally. Um, But that's, yeah, I'm so, I'm so excited for you. That's, I know it's a, you know, it's it's such an honor and um, it's such a deserved honor. So I'm, I'm so happy that that that, that has happened for all of us who get to listen. Um, oh, thank you. you to really shine a light on your work. I mean, you've really compiled such an incredible masterpiece and, um, you know, really speaking the language of the plants, um, and the human spirit in your work. So, yeah, thank, thank you. you. Love. <laughs> all right. Be well, you too. And thanks everyone for listening. And if you have questions for Kat, uh, questions for me, please post them in the comment section. And then um, I will pass them along to Kat and any answers that we have, I'll pass them along to you. Okay. Thanks everyone. Thanks Kat. Thank you, love. Bye.